of 11 member countries have ratified the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, which means Canada will be among the first group of countries able to take advantage of the deal when it comes into force at the end of this year. Joining me with more insight into this and what it means specifically for small businesses and small Western Canadian businesses is Carlo Dade, a regular on the program. He's the director of the Centre for Trade and Investment Policy at the Canada West Foundation. Carlo, thanks for coming back on. Hey, Haley, always a pleasure to be here. Quite a big deal has been made out of the fact that Canada will be part of this first group of countries to enjoy the benefits of the CPTPP once it comes into force. What's your take? How beneficial is it really for Canada and Canadian businesses to be part of this first group? Well, you can actually quantify the the benefit uh, depending upon uh, the company and what they trade. But the vast majority of tariff line items, so things that you trade, um, that aren't already zero are reduced to zero as soon as the agreement comes into effect, 95%. But of the remaining things that don't fall to zero immediately, a lot of those things fall a certain percent each percentage each year. So I think it's like plant pea protein. So the, the new stuff that goes into stuff like Beyond Burgers, mm-hmm. uh, that ingredient the tariff in Japan is 12% and it drops 1.5% a year. So why, what does that have to do with getting in early? Well, the tariffs fall each year on January 1st. By having the agreement come into effect now or come into effect at the end of December, the tariff on pea protein to Japan or cattle or other things will fall 1.5% immediately. And then a day or two later, on January 1st will fall another 1.5%. So really, spending in early gets a double dip. And for Canadian companies that are worried about competitors that are part of the agreement, like the Americans, you go from having a 1.5% advantage to having a 3% advantage. And again, it it varies depending on the the product. Some it may be a 2% advantage to 4% advantage, some a 1% to 2%. But anyway, you get a bigger impact because the tariffs drop immediately. And then every year on January 1st, they drop again. So in this case, they drop just end of December, a couple of days later, they drop again. Mm, that's very interesting. Now, as you know, of course, this has been a decade in the making, certainly not without its challenges. But I've seen you write recently and tweet recently that now is sort of when the real hard work begins. Why is that? Well, over the past decade, or, or actually two decades since we joined the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, we signed a series of smaller bilateral trade agreements with one exception, the, the EFTA agreement with uh, Liechtenstein and uh, Iceland. But all of our other agreements have been smaller bilateral agreements, one set of rules for one agreement. Business, I think, has gotten accustomed to these kind of idiosyncratic, almost smaller deals. We haven't had anything this big come along until we signed the agreement with the European Union. And suddenly we have what are, in essence, two new NAFTAs. We have an agreement that is as large, maybe not in terms of total market size or GDP, but certainly in terms of economic weight globally, agreements that are as large and as important and have the same opportunities as an original NAFTA. So business has gotten used to these smaller agreements, and they're not thinking of something 
with all the potential in it, something as impactful as a multilateral agreement with 10 other markets, all bound by one set of rules, one set of paperwork, and the ability to construct supply and production chains in these markets. The return on investment from getting 10 for one is huge. And businesses, I think, aren't used to thinking about that because we signed agreements with countries, well, countries like Ukraine and Honduras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we wonder why Canadian businesses haven't <laughs> diversified or gotten excited about trade agreements. But here's 13.5% of the world's GDP today in one single market with one set of rules. And that 13.5% could very easily be 15% next year, 18% the year after. Because unlike the North American agreement, the TPP will grow each year as countries join. And we already have three to five countries joined to line up. So you add up all these factors, and this is nothing like a rinky-dink with a bilateral deal with Honduras. This is huge. It is. And I, I think about this. It's so easy for Canadian firms, if they're looking for markets, to look south of the border. It's a very familiar place for us and a lot of similarities culturally, too. How much education do you think needs to take place between now and when this deal comes into force and also sort of in the months and years ahead to really try and encourage small businesses that that have opportunities in Southeast Asia, for example, to seize those opportunities? Well, I think it's going to take an inordinate amount of of work. And, And you nailed it. It's the pull of having the richest, fattest, and easiest market in the world at your doorstep. I think what's changed, though, in the past is that market has gotten a little less easy and it, it's lost a little weight uh, to follow through on the uh, on the pun there. Uh, the American trade with the U.S. has gotten harder and from every indication we have, it's going to continue to get more difficult. That doesn't mean that the U.S. will no longer be an attractive market or one of the best markets in the world. It just means that the U.S. wasn't as easy or won't be as easy as, has, as it has been in the past. Yet agreements like the agreement with the European Union, another NAFTA-type agreement, and the TPP you know, make trade easier. So if you're in the knowledge business, uh, IT or info business, and you need to move workers into Canada and move workers from Canada into other markets for short-term assignments, or you're a service company that needs to move workers, you're going to have an easier time under the TPP moving workers to and from a place like Japan or Malaysia or Australia than you will moving workers across the border down to Seattle. So for companies that are in the knowledge business and thinking about attracting global talent, suddenly you've got a huge advantage over the Americans. So we're going to have to, I think, explain just how important this agreement is and the opportunities it gives. And I think once we do that, if you're in the IT business, it's not going to take you longer than three seconds to figure out the advantage you have over your American competitors and also maybe shifting your business to take advantage of the new rules that are in a modern 21st century agreement as opposed to the old agreement. I I joke that you can think of the update that we just did on the NAFTA agreement to the USMC as updating from Windows 95 to (laughs) Windows 97. That's That's a good analogy. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine because everyone else in the world is running Windows 10. 
So that's what you have with the TPP. And I think as soon as businesses become aware of that, there'll be a gradual shift. So we don't have, we have a leg up advantage wise over our U.S. competition, but how much competition do you think Canadian businesses will face from counterparts in a country like Australia, which became the sixth country to ratify the CPTPP? It's, of course, severe competition. We look at the Aussies uh, throughout Asia and, you know, they've been in these markets ahead of us. So undoubtedly, we'll have that competition. But two points. One, you'd rather be competing with the Aussies and the Americans. If you're going to have competition, you'd rather have, <laughs> you'd rather have it be the Aussies. Two, some of the, and that's nothing against these, the Aussies. It's just that they're not 357 million people strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other factor, too, is a lot of these companies, companies or small businesses in places like Australia or New Zealand, you can think of them as partners. Again, this is the difference between a bilateral and a multilateral agreement. Uh, in the guide that we have on for small businesses on the TPP, we create an example of a Canadian First Nations fishing company that's thinking about trying to get into Japan, has never been there before, and has no idea where to begin, even with the help available from trade commissioners and others. But there's a New Zealand Maori fishing company that's been in Japan for ages. The problem that the New Zealand company has is they can't get enough fish to satisfy demand. They've got bigger customers they would love to service, but they can't get enough supply. You look at a Canadian company that has supply and no knowledge, and a partnership can be born. We've already seen this happen. This comes from a real-life example of a New Zealand company investing in Canada for lamb. But you get the idea that suddenly with a multilateral agreement, not every company is a potential competitor. A lot of these companies can be partners to enter a third market. So Canada and New Zealand going together into Malaysia. So that is something that's new that we really haven't had before. Mm-hmm. In the days ahead, the Canada West Foundation will be publishing this this just-in-time plan that will walk through how Western Canadian small businesses can take advantage of some of the benefits of this new agreement. Generally speaking, where do you think the greatest opportunities are for Western Canadian SMEs? So, you know, this is a question that I find uh, almost impossible to answer. And it's because with this sort of agreement, where you expand rules that touch on all facets of things that small businesses do, a lot of firms that we haven't seen before go go abroad, will go abroad, or will have new opportunities. So I think the opportunities are there across the board. Services, uh, companies that do manufacturing. Uh, the company example we have from BC of the athleisure athleisure wear company. We'll see all sorts of companies um, being able to take advantage of the agreement and uh, the lack of the Americans in the market and rules for not just moving people, but better rules for e-commerce, better rules for protecting copyright, uh, rules that guarantee the clearance of FedEx packages in six hours. Sorry to give the plug to them. Um, (laughs) Rules that allow you to get customs prejudgments. Uh, so you'll know that your product will clear customs. The ability to set up a single distribution agreement with one country, say Singapore, and have a company on the other end in Singapore take care of all your shipping and customer needs in Malaysia, Australia, and uh, Vietnam. 
So those sorts of things will get companies that have been on the sidelines, I think, in the past to step up and, and take a look at the agreement. So I don't know who's going to take advantage of this, but I'm looking forward to being surprised and amazed. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm curious about, we'll wait to see the other member countries ratify this in their own time, but looking sort of beyond that, the possibility of other countries, not part of this group of 11, potentially joining. What are your expectations around that and where are some of the opportunities, you think? Well, for the companies that are coming in, so in the uh, clothing or the manufacturing, the, the, the cheaper assembly stuff, having Vietnam in um, now gives you the advantage of you know, the, the, the specialized skill sets that Vietnam has and also access into China's supply chain. So if um, in the future, we know Colombia is coming in and that will shore things up on this side of the Pacific, but on the other side, uh, Vietnam coming in, potentially, uh, sorry, Vietnam, sorry, uh, Thailand coming in uh, would create more opportunities. In the mm-hmm. future, Philippines or a um, or a, in Indonesia coming in would create opportunities as well. But the big one is China. And just two weeks ago, the South China Morning Post uh, ran a story saying that mainland China is considering uh, coming into the uh, or taking a look at the TPP. If that happens, it's a complete change, game changer. The agreement was originally designed under the Obama administration to try and contain China, and China's always hated the TPP. But with Donald Trump in the White House, you see how upset the entire world is, and how black is white around the globe with Donald Trump in. China suddenly, I think, sees the TPP as a potential to get around U.S. attempts to isolate it. If that's the case and China wants to come into the TPP, then this is the best news that Canada's had for dealing with China. We have a better path to negotiate an agreement than trying to go one-on-one with China, and we don't have the economic power or the economic might to get a good deal out of the Chinese. But as part of the TPP, with 10 or 13 other members, we have a much better chance of getting uh, a deal and not negotiating with Donald Trump means we get not a USMC type backwards Windows 97 looking deal, but we'd instead get a modern progressive in the sense of trade liberalization progressive deal that would really work for business. So I think that would be the biggest change if China is serious about looking at this, that would be the best possible outcome for Canada in terms of engaging China. That's very interesting. Give me a sense of what that process might look like. Would China simply have to agree to the agreement as it is? Would it have to negotiate with the CPTPP group? Would it have to negotiate one-on-one with countries? What what would that involve potentially? It, it would be a combination. Um, so with the negotiations that we first that we just went through, that's a great example. The con- Countries negotiated together and, you know, countries put offers on the table and there was general consensus about the bigger points. But on some specific issues that countries had, say Canada and Japan over autos or Vietnam when the U.S. was in, had uh, issues over labor, um, countries could negotiate side letters. So you would see a combination. But why this is such a good outcome, if we were to negotiate with China one-on-one, we'd be starting with the tabla rasa or a blank slate. Now, of course, we've had talks with them and some points have been outlined and some lines have been drawn. But with the TPP, you have a full agreement. 
a very progressive agreement modeled on North American trade rules, modeled on Western trade rules. Uh, companies, uh, countries like Chile and Singapore and New Zealand have some of the most open, progressive, liberalized trade around. So you have that as the bar. And so if China comes in, they've got to start at that bar. Obviously, they're going to try and read a lot of stuff and, and bring stuff down. But the point is, you've got them at a high bar as opposed to having them start with a blank slate. So there would be a lot of difficult negotiations with all the members, and then there would also be difficult side negotiations. Um, so this by no means is as simple as they sign up and tomorrow they're in process. Uh, I see it taking years and being very difficult. Mm, something to watch for. We'll have to have you back on the show many, many times over those years to walk us through it. But for now, Carlo, as always, thanks so much for joining the show. Hey, it's always a pleasure. That's Carlo Dade, director of the Center for Trade and Investment Policy at the Canada West Foundation. And if you're looking for the report we mentioned, that just-in-time plan for navigating the CPTPP, you can find it in the days ahead at cwf.ca. And that report, by the way, was sponsored in part by one of Canada's new trading partners, the government of New Zealand. 